We will now have the scripture reading from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, we, we truly have an abundance of riches that God has given us in the Psalms. We have this, this prayer book. We have this song book that God has inspired, that God has given to us, that we may pray and sing them back to him. And whenever I think on that, that is just, it amazes me. If we ever struggle with words to give to God, how exactly to frame the the heaviness that is on our hearts. There's a psalm for that. If we are overjoyed and abounding in thanksgiving, there's a psalm for that. And there are psalms that recount the history of salvation of Israel, the mighty works of God that he has done for his people. And there are psalms that proclaim the royal majesty of our sovereign Lord. And importantly, all the Psalms, they, they point forward, they lead us, they push us forward to set our eyes on Christ. Now our Psalm this morning is a Psalm that proclaims the royal majesty of our Lord. It is a song for the church that praises God as we see in verses 1 and 2. For the mighty king, he is. Our psalm is a song for the church that praises God in verses 3 and 4, that amidst all the chaos, the roaring floods, the instability that we see, the Lord is mighty above them and rules over them. And our psalm is a song for the church that reminds us that he rules by his word. And his word is trustworthy and faithful. And as his people, as holiness befits his house, we are called to holiness befitting our great king. Now this psalm, or song for the church, beginning with praise to God for being the mighty king that he is, opens with a proclamation. And not a mild one at that, but a confrontation with the truth that 
maybe as a lesson for us. The Lord reigns. This is a concise but a powerful claim that we, a forgetful people, need to be reminded of. People of God, the Lord, our Lord, reigns. And more than that, he isn't simply a watchmaker, a God who created all things and simply lets them run their course, a king in principle. No, he is the ever-present king, overseeing all things according to the counsel of his will. The Lord reigns. Now we learn about this mighty king, our king, that he is majestic and mighty. He is robed in majesty. He has put on strength as his belt. The king is in full magnificence and armed for battle. And we need to recognize that there is nothing, there is nothing in God that he receives from another. Is his majesty given to him? Does he receive his strength from someone outside of himself? No. And this is, this is one of many stark differences between the Lord our King and any earthly ruler. An earthly ruler may attempt to portray majesty in their appearance and presence. As we think of any kings in history, they will have richly ordained crowns or scepters. After all, not everyone walking around is wearing a jeweled gold crown. They might attempt to portray majesty in their positioning around others. For example, in history, the throne was always raised above and imposing over others. And this positioning might also be an attempt to portray strength. And when we think of our more current history, strength may be portrayed in the security detail that follows them, the army that they're able to command and summon, the laws that they are able to make or break. Yet any attempt that is made in appearance and presence, it's quite clear that this majesty, this strength, comes from outside of any earthly ruler. But God's majesty, God's strength, comes from his very self, his own divine nature. Now this is vital for us to know as God's people, vital for us to understand, because this means that any strength that we need, whether for faith and obedience to live as God's kingdom people, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, or for the su success of the gospel mission as we seek to be heralds, proclaiming the Lord reigns our strength, our might are not found in ourselves. We don't rely on our own strength nor proclaim a majesty of our own. Our strength is from the God of all strength who gives his people what they need 
and we proclaim the saving power of the eternal king. Now, as we see that our king is majestic, he is mighty, we also see two aspects of his reign, his rule as our Lord. And we see that he rules sovereignly and he rules eternally. For when we read that the world shall never be moved, it isn't speaking of the earth being fixed in a location or even fixed in a process like a stopwatch. As I said, God is not some watchmaker creating and setting the world in its course and then stepping back and allowing it to follow the processes and the systems in place. That isn't what this psalm is proclaiming. Rather, the unmoving of the world speaks to God's sovereign rule, that the world cannot move outside of or against the decrees of God. His kingly order is righteous and cannot be overthrown. Now, that doesn't mean that we, or humanity in general, in our sinful rebellion, don't strive to overthrow the order of the Lord, that we don't strive to reject his sovereign rule and seek to replace God's righteous, trustworthy laws, his decrees, with our own perverse orderings. Yet God's will for this world is unshakable and fixed. Now, how do we respond to that truth? How do we respond when we hear that God's will is unshakable and fixed? Because this is something that was cherished for centuries, but I think this is a truth that in more modern history, we have strived to shake off, wishing for the distant watchmaker rather than the watchful king. That this should, this should bring us tremendous comfort, brothers and sisters, comfort. For when we pray, as our Lord taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done. We can be sure that it will, in fact, be done. This isn't a plea for a, a possibility Rather, this is a proclamation of the assurance that our Lord reigns as righteous king and that his will shall be done. The author of Hebrews writes of this sovereignty being exercised specifically by the glorious Lord Jesus Christ when he says that he, Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, is this exalted king. This psalm, as are all the psalms, lead us, direct us to set our eyes on Christ. So as we take comfort in God's sovereignty, let us also take comfort that his kingdom is eternal, our triune God didn't become king at creation. God's throne is from old, of long ago. It is an eternal throne. 
God didn't gain anything from creation. He didn't become something he wasn't the moment of creation. God is king. He always has been king. And he always will be king. Rather, the moment of creation, the entirety of creation became subjects to the Lord who reigns. Everything that exists has its beginning from God and owes to him both obedience and worship. Now that doesn't mean that everything that exists gives immediately this obedience that Christ has owed. Now notice I did say immediately, for one day, the entirety of creation, the entirety of humanity will give the obedience that is owed to Christ the King. For the Spirit testifies of this when we read in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, after reading of Christ's humiliation, we have this of his exaltation. For it reads, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this bowing of the knee will happen when Christ returns. And until then, sinful people still rebel. And that leads us to the next section, verses 3 and 4, where we have a description of this rebellion, of the roaring waters, of the mighty waves. Now, while we can understand this as speaking about the chaos and turbulence of the waves of the sea, the psalmist is painting here a picture of the ungodly. And it isn't only here where this language is used in this way. The prophet in Isaiah 57 verse 20 says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. And of course, we can think of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Now, this is a picture that we can understand, isn't it? As chaotic as the floodwaters can be, as unstable and loud and violent as they are, we can look in the world and see this chaos, this instability, this violence in sinful rebellion. Let's just look at the, the cultural and political landscape recently. It seems drowning, doesn't it? The lifting of voices, the roaring, as the psalmist says. All around the world, we face constant roaring around us against the teachings of God's word, Individuals and governments seeking their own glory, praising their own strength and majesty. And from our creaturely, our finite perspective, from where we are, a pretty small place 
in this big world, it can seem at times that the raging and the plotting of worldly powers rebelling against God's sovereign rule is, is quite threatening. That these plots might overthrow the king. But this isn't the proper lens to view things through. For what does our psalm say? What does this song for the church teach us? Let's not forget what we looked at first, that our Lord reigns. And he is majestic and mighty, and he reigns sovereignly and eternally. Amidst the chaos, the storms, the turmoil and instability, let's not forget that our Lord reigns. Our creaturely finite lens we see in verse 3, but the true lens through which we should see things the biblical lens given us by the Holy Spirit, we see in verse 4. This king, our king, the psalmist tells us, is mightier than all the roaring and turmoil of the waves. Mightier than the ungodly and higher than any plot or plan that they might have. Our Lord, in his sovereign rule, sets the boundaries of the waves. He sets the limits of their movements. And more than that, God is able to restrain their purposes and use all earthly rebellions for his own purposes and praise. And this is why the sovereignty of our Lord gives us comfort. For in his sovereignty, we can know and trust in ways that surpass our understanding there is purpose in the roaring of the floods. In ways we can't fully understand, God is bringing about his kingdom. And as he works all things, all things for good for those who love him, God is conforming us to the image of his son. He is sanctifying us. Now is this Sovereign purpose are these two lenses that we see in verses 3 and 4. Are they not more on display than with the cross? For from our finite creaturely lens, we look to the cross and see the ultimate rebellion and outrage against the high king. Then there we see the depths of humanity's sin in the plot to humiliate and violently murder the only innocent person to ever live, Jesus Christ. There, Greeks and Jews, Herod and Pilate with the Jewish council, plotted to slaughter the Lamb of God. We might ask, has there been a darker day than the day when our Lord was crucified? Has there ever been such a plotting a roaring of the waves, a roaring of the ungodly, as such as that day. The apostles, everyone who followed Jesus after the cross, scattered and hid. It seemed that the rebellion and outrage against the high king had won, had overthrown the rule of God. Yet, from the proper lens that we see in verse 4 in our psalm, the Lord is mightier than any thundering 
any roaring that any might lift up. He is sovereign even in this, in all things. For our Lord has risen. And though they plotted against him, they plotted in vain. And we see this clearly in Acts 4, verses 27 and 28, where after John and Peter were arrested, they gather with the other believers and they come together to pray. And we read this, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They gathered against Jesus Christ, yet God was sovereign through this, planned this from before the beginning of time for his glory in bringing the redemption, the forgiveness of sins for his people. Praise God that he is high and mighty over the waves. And as we look at these verses, we also recognize that they allow us to be honest and truthful. As Christians, are we given a free pass? No. Will we face dark days? Will we be surrounded by chaos and roaring waves? Yes, we will. Until Christ returns, there will be attempts of rebellion, of overthrowing the sovereign rule of our king. But take comfort. Take comfort, brothers and sisters, that as loud as that roaring can be, as unstable as our world appears to be, it truly only appears that way. Christ rules supreme and is working all things to his will. Christ reigns over the tumult around us. So while we are in the midst of this chaos, we can lift our voices to him, knowing and trusting that he is high and mighty. This psalm shows us we can be honest about the roaring that we are surrounded by. It can be overwhelming. And if you are overwhelmed, you're not the first to be so. And you probably won't be the last to feel overwhelmed either. And in those times, with the waves, so to speak, crashing around us, we might cry out, Lord, where are you? Know that he hears your cry. For where is our Lord, the mighty king? He is high and mighty. And let us hear the words of Jesus Christ. For in the gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our Lord reigns. Now we can take comfort in these words of Jesus. We can take comfort in the promises, the decrees or statutes throughout Scripture because of who speaks them. 
The Lord reigns in majestic and mighty splendor. The Lord reigns sovereignly and eternally over the chaos and the turmoil of the world, so his word is trustworthy. Nothing can overthrow our mighty God. Nothing can overthrow what God has spoken and promised in his word. For it is in his word where we hear the promise of salvation, the promise of a savior. We can see God's power and might, his eternality from creation. We know our sin, if we're honest, by inwardly looking at ourselves. Yet from creation, from this inward look to ourselves, we don't, we cannot discover how we are saved. Salvation is not known to us from general revelation. That is why we need the scriptures. It is in God's word that he reveals to us all that we need to know to be saved. It is in his word that he gives us his promises. And we hear of this promise off the lips of Abraham when he's preparing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And he tells Isaac, as they're preparing to head up, he says, God will himself provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And indeed, God stops Abraham. Yet it isn't a lamb that Abraham finds and ultimately sacrifices. It's a ram caught in the thickets. So where is this lamb? Where is this sacrifice that atones for our sins? It is in the fullness of time, according to God's sovereign plan, that we have the Lamb. And John the baptizer declares this when seeing Jesus upon the Jordan River, he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's promises, his decrees, his statutes never fail. This is the promise to us. We all are sinners. We have rebelled and turned away from God as the roaring floods. Yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So believe in the son of God, the lamb of of God who takes away sins and have Christ's righteousness, his perfect life counted towards you, credited towards you, and be called a child of God. Now this promise is trustworthy and so are all the promises we find in scripture. And putting our faith in Christ, we are part of his kingdom. We are citizens of his kingdom, under his reign. And what a blessing that is. And as his subjects of his saving kingdom, we are called to take up the manners, the habits of our king. We are called to be holy. And to be clear, this call to holiness does not earn for us Salvation. It does not earn for us the right to be part of his kingdom, 
This call to holiness does not keep us in his kingdom. Christ brings us in, and Christ keeps us. Rather, this call to holiness is out of gratitude and evidence of the reality that we are part of his kingdom. For a true citizen will live like one, not as a rebel against, going against his saving king's decrees. Holiness befits God's majestic reign and his holy house. God is eternal and unchanging, so his holy standards are unchanging. Holiness befits him in his house, and we are, as we heard in our call to worship, living stones being built as that temple. So holiness is for his people forevermore. Now this is comforting, but challenging. The ideals of humankind change. The morality of the world ebbs and flows. The standards of the world in this constant changing state never match up with the Lord's standards. Yet it is the Lord's decrees and statutes that are trustworthy because the Lord reigns. Now, I have called this psalm a song for the church, for it truly is. This psalm praises God and his marvelous kingdom. It praises God for his, majest- for his majesty and might over the chaotic waters of this world. And it praises God that his word is trustworthy in all that it promises. It praises God and acknowledges that since he is our king, we as his people are called to holiness. And with those promises, with this call to holiness, we also realize that we eagerly look forward to when we will sing a new song. And it's in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 8, that we find this new song, which reads, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The Lord's reign never ends, and as we now strive to live in holiness, we see here that on that glorious day of that wedding feast with the Lamb, we will be holy, as is illustrated in the clothing that we will wear. There's no roaring waters, there's no rebellion, for God will cast out all evil and gather all his people to himself for this joyous feast. So as we hold this song for the church, Psalm 93 in our hearts, we look ahead to this new song, for the Lord reigns. We know that we as God's people in his kingdom will share in that glorious feast, for the Lord reigns. He is majestic, he is mighty, he rules sovereignly and eternally, and his word is trustworthy.
And since his word is trustworthy, we hold to the promises fulfilled in Christ in his first coming, and we look ahead to the promises we have in his second coming. People of God, the Lord, our Lord, reigns. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are truly, truly moved to awe that we come to you, you who are robed in majesty, in all your glorious splendor. We, your your creation, we, we come to praise you as the eternal king. We praise you, Lord, and we ask that as we hear of your majesty, as we hear of your reign, that it will truly comfort us, it will strengthen us as we are surrounded by the roaring floods, the mighty waves in this world, Lord. Comfort us and strengthen us in our hearts that we may see you as the sovereign king you are. We don't need to know all your purposes. We don't need to know all your plans. But we trust and rest in the promises that you have given us. We are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, the, the lamb that has come, that brings us redemption, that brings us forgiveness of our sins. We cannot accomplish this on our own. We realize how, how greatly we need Jesus, our Savior. And so we thank you. We praise you for the sending of your son. We praise you and give thanks in the sending of your spirit that enlivens our hearts, your spirit that opens our eyes that we may see this glorious truth. And so in the days to come, Lord, may we turn to your word where you have revealed yourself, where you have revealed your promises, where you have revealed how we are to live as your children. May we turn to your word and may we, as your people, be eager to joyfully spread the glorious good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. That there is salvation. That there is forgiveness to be sought. And Lord, we, we look forward to that glorious day, to that wedding feast where we will be in your glorious presence in a way that we can't even comprehend, we can't imagine. And so we ask that your word strengthen us in the days to come as we keep our eyes forward, as we keep our eyes on Christ, your Son, our Lord, our Savior. And it is in his mighty, majestic name that we pray. Amen.